Welcome to Swimming Upstream, the 10-minute podcast about Catholicism, technology, culture, baseball, whatever else might come up. I'm your host, Eric Sammons. This is episode number 12. On today's show, I'm going to be discussing the origins of the New Testament. How did we get the New Testament? Uh, the show notes for today can be found at ericsammons.com slash podcast slash 12. I, I'll try to link to some articles or some other information about this topic there. Okay, so the reason I want to talk about this is I see it's a common misconception excuse me, of where the Bible came from. Often people think of the Bible as something that drops out of the sky just as is, as if God had dictated it and then wrote it up in heaven and then just dropped it in our laps. But this isn't the Christian view, the proper Christian view of where we get the New Testament. It's not historical either. That view is kind of similar to the Mormon or the Muslim view of their scriptures. Mormons believe that golden tablets were given to Joseph Smith, and that's how the, that's how the Book of Mormon came to be. And Muslims believe that Muhammad, it was dictated to him the Quran. Christians don't believe that about the Bible. We believe that the, uh, the scriptures were written by men and possibly women under their own power, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it was actually a long, organic process that involved many people over hundreds of years. That's how we got the Bible in its entirety and also the New Testament. I'm going to skip over the Old Testament for this topic. I really want to focus on the New Testament. When we look at the writings of the New Testament, we see each one, each book in the New Testament was written for a specific issue, and it has an initial use, typically to be read at a community gathering. So, for example, when St. Paul wrote to a community, he sent the letter to them, let's say a letter to the Romans or a letter to the Philippians or what have you, and they would read at their community gathering. Well, what was their community gathering? It was the liturgy. They gathered for Mass. And so they would read out the letter from St. Paul in their Mass, and then they would continue to read that. And then they would share that with other communities. Maybe somebody would be visiting, and they would hear it, and they would copy it for them. They would take it back to their community. And so you see these writings in the New Testament would spread throughout the Roman Empire. Different communities read them, and they always would read them at Mass. Because remember, we don't have tons of copies. There's no printing press. Most people are illiterate. And so it's not like they're... they're you know, faxing it to people to use the 1980s technology or sending it by Facebook or Twitter. They had to write this by hand, and people, it'd be read aloud at the Mass. And so eventually, these different writings are being read liturgically, meaning they're always read each week at the liturgy. And so then the question became, and this happens over a course of decades, the question becomes, okay, what is legitimate to read at Mass and what is not? And this is really the origins of the New Testament. It was the decision by the church to figure out which books, which letters, which gospels, what have you, were proper to be read in the liturgy and which ones were not. And so they had to decide what books were inspired, meaning that the Holy Spirit had inspired the author in writing them. And really they came up with four criteria for what when they would consider a book inspired. The first would be, the first criteria would be conformity to the rule of faith, meaning that does it correspond to what we all believe, what the church believes? Note which comes first, 
the rule of faith, not the Scriptures. It's not the Scriptures, the New Testament, that determines the rule of faith. The rule of faith determines what's in the New Testament. That's a key point that Protestants get wrong, but it's, it's historically true. Because the church already preached and believed certain things. They had doctrines. They had creeds. And so they were looking for if a book corresponded to that rule of faith they already had, then it could potentially be inspired. Okay, the second criteria, is it apostolic? Meaning, does it have a connection to the apostles? Doesn't mean it had to be written by apostle. For example, the uh, Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke aren't written by apostles, but they're associated with apostles. They're associated in case of Mark with Peter, and in case of Gospel of Luke with St. Paul. And so it has to be closely associated with an apostle, which means that it's connected to Jesus Christ himself, if it's connected to an apostle. The third criteria is universal usage in the liturgy, meaning that basically throughout the church, people are reading this at the liturgy. If only one small community out in the middle of nowhere is reading it, then it's not going to be considered part of the Scriptures. And so, and in the fourth criteria is universal acceptance, basically meaning is it accepted by all the churches throughout the, throughout the church, all the local churches, as something that is properly considered scriptural, properly considered apostolic, considered useful in the liturgy, and considered to correspond with the rule of faith. Note, inspiration itself was not a criteria. That is how they determined if something was inspired, these four criteria. Does it conform to the rule of faith? Is it apostolic? Is it used in the liturgy? And is it universally accepted? And so this happened over the process of decades, even centuries, of determining which books would be in the New Testament. Now, the vast majority of the 27 books of the New Testament were basically accepted by about mid to late 2nd century. So we're talking 100, 150 years after the time of the Apostles and Jesus Christ. But some books were debated. People weren't sure should they be in the church in, in the New Testament or not. For example, the letter to the Hebrews and the book of Revelation. Hebrews was somewhat disputed because people didn't know who the author was. We still don't know who the author was. Some people believed it was Paul, but many did not. And so because it wasn't associated with an apostle that they knew, that was questioned. Revelation was just so odd so different from all the other books that people weren't, Christians weren't quite sure whether or not that should be considered scriptural. Other books that didn't make the canon, though, were considered, like, for example, the Didache that was written in the first century. That didn't really have a direct apostolic connection, and so it didn't make the cut. Also, the Shepherd of Hermes also wasn't really apostolic, came a little later, more like the second century. That didn't make it. But some people did think it should make the canon of scripture. Eventually, there were councils that decided what would make up the New Testament. This happened after the end of persecution in the 4th century. For example, in the Council of Laodicea in 363, they came up with 26 books, but they omitted the book of Revelation. At the Synod of Hippo in 393, that was the first to accept what we consider the complete canon of the New Testament, all 27 books. But that was a regional council. At the Council of Carthage in 397, which St. Augustine influenced heavily, they also came with the same canon, the same books we have today. And then finally, the Second Council of Carthage in 419 did the same, and they asked the Pope to confirm their decision, which he did. 
And what you see is after this, there is no more debate, which shows a great, uh, the, the workings of the Holy Spirit through the church, through the tradition of the church, through the magisterium, that there was debate for centuries. But once the church had spoken definitively in a council and through the Pope and said, these are the books of the Bible, then it was accepted that these are the only books in the Bible and there are no others. And so this is a great, understanding where the New Testament comes from is very important in understanding how we believe what we believe. Because we're not Protestants, as Catholics, we're not Protestants. We don't believe in sola scriptura, meaning that's where our beliefs come from, is solely from the Bible. No, we believe that the Holy Spirit guides the church to reveal what he has taught, and that comes through the scriptures, but also tradition. And in fact, we wouldn't have scripture if not for tradition, because it's through tradition that we determine, that the church determine what books make up the New Testament, what books make up the Bible. And so we can look at this as a great working of the Holy Spirit, and, not, and that's not the only way the Holy Spirit works. That's not the only time, I should say, that the Holy Spirit works through the church. That's something, if you think about that Protestants are saying, when they accept the canon of Scripture, they're accepting the authority of the Catholic Church in one specific instance, but then they reject it in all the other instances. However, that makes no sense. Really, if you accept that the church had the authority to determine which books are in the Bible, which you think is a rule of faith, well, then you should accept the church for other things. But as we've seen, really the rule of faith predates the Scriptures, and it's how we determine, how the church has determined which books would make up the Bible. Okay, I think I'm going to stop there, but that should give a quick overview of how we got the New Testament, where did it come from. So that's it for today's episode. Until next time, keep swimming against the stream.